Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. On today's episode, I have the opportunity to speak with Cheska Colorado Mansfield, co-founder and CEO of Miracle Feet. Miracle Feet is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to increase access to proper treatment for children born with clubfoot in low and middle income countries through partnerships with local health care providers. In 2021, Miracle Feet and their partners enrolled more children than ever in treatment, 62% growth over the previous year and supported over 24,000 actively in treatment at 320 clinics worldwide. So let's get started. Hi, Cheska. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to hear more about Miracle Feet from you. Thank you, Maureen. I really appreciate you giving me this chance to share our story. Come yes. on for our conversation. I'm really excited too. So why don't we just start with you telling us, just giving us a general overview of what Miracle Feet is. Thanks. So Miracle Feet is a US-based nonprofit. We're working to increase access to treatment for children born with clubfoot, but focusing on the children that are born with clubfoot in low and middle income countries, where typically there is much less access in some countries, no access to care right now. We um, work in 30 different countries around the world, in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. We started our work about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I think that has allowed us to scale and and to reach as many kids as we have. We've now reached close to 70,000 children um, globally, which is um, very exciting. Mm -hmm. It's because we work with local partnerships. So what we're Mm -hmm. trying to do is really build capacity in each country. We're not flying doctors in, we're working with the local doctors, working in the public hospitals and making sure that everything is there so that children who come for treatment can get really good, high quality Ponseti treatment. And I'm sure we'll talk more about Ponseti as the conversation um, evolves. We also work on the front end though. So, so we work on the clinical piece, but we also work on it raising awareness and making sure that people know that clubfoot is treatable, trying mm-hmm. to change stigma around the issue of clubfoot, which is very high in many countries. Mm-hmm. And also on the back end with the follow-up and, and mm-hmm. bracing, um, is a really important part of this treatment and requires incredible commitment on the on the part of the parents. So we try to support the parents through that four to five year period when their children are wearing braces and the burden is really on the family uh, for delivering that care. So so we, we try to bring a comprehensive mm-hmm. approach to our mm-hmm. work, but also um, very driven by local partnerships, local teams, mm-hmm. local healthcare providers, local hospitals to make that happen. Um, really because we believe it's the most sustainable way to solve the problem. Wow, that's incredible. That's a lot of kids. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, the congratulations really goes to all the doctors and the physical therapists and our amazing partners in each country who make it happen. And we're sort of, <coughs> like to think of Miracle Feet as being the glue. We are, we're sort of helping fill mm-hmm. in the gaps and mm-hmm. uh, providing resources and technical expertise where it's missing. Um, but a lot of the passion, a lot of the desire to make sure that kids get treated is really already in all of these countries. We're just helping unlock it and unleash mm. it so that kids can get treated. And the stories we hear about parents um, who have a child born with clubfoot and do so much to look for a solution 
against all odds. You know, we the parents are certainly doing their part in, in all of the countries that we work in. So it's really a team effort um, with the parents, all of our local partners, and, and then Miracle Feet kind of helping as an enabler. Yeah, I love that idea. The glue that kind of goes inside of it all. So how did you guys come up with this? Like, how did the inception of Miracle Feet even get started? Like, what was the catalyst that made you think, okay, we, we really need to do something? Right. Well, as with all of these things, it was a lot of different people mm-hmm. coming together and, and sort of um, something bigger happening um, out of out of many different, um, coming from, coming at it from different angles. I um, had have no personal connection to the issue of clubfoot, but I had, I grew up living in Africa and in Asia. And as a young child, always realizing that a lot of the kids I saw had very little opportunity. There was a lot of suffering in, in my naive eyes. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to do something to kind of do, make some contribution to, mm-hmm. to changing that. So I kind of came at it from that angle. There were others who were involved who, like yourself, had a child born with club foot. And mm-hmm. in particular, a couple called the Bermans, whose child um, was one of the first um, kids treated with the Ponsetti method in the early days. And when they heard that this treatment was not available in low-income countries and that children in those countries weren't getting any treatment at all, but, you know, mm-hmm. historically, Clubfoot mm-hmm. was treated with surgery. Mm-hmm. In low-income countries, it wasn't being treated at all that he was doing. And, and when I heard how he had revolutionized Clubfoot treatment, that compelled me to try to do something about it. I connected with these other parents, and between us, we decided we would try and start an organization to tackle the issue of Clubfoot in the same way that there were already organizations tackling uh, cleft palate and had been around for a while. So that was sort of our model. Wow. That's incredible. I think that it's interesting to think about it because I think just like a personal story, my brother was, and he did a semester abroad and it was a semester at sea. Okay. So where they traveled in a boat all the way around the world. Right. And I remember when my daughter was born with, or when she was diagnosed in utero with clubfoot, and I was like, and majority of people, because we didn't have any family history, um, majority of people in my family had no clue what it was. They were just like, I don't, they had no concept, but my brother did because he was like, yes, I saw people in India and he was like, I never knew what it was, but I know exactly what you're talking about because I've seen people with untreated, uncorrected club feet. And um, so I think it's interesting because, well, that was back when, I mean, I was in college. So back in 2007, so it was Ponsetti was kind of gaining traction here, right? But not, I don't know if globally, how long it takes to get that but that idea that this method is just casting with a small like surgical procedure seems to be much more transferable than training these orthopedic surgeons who the people I've talked to have like, it was such an extensive surgery to correct. Right. So it makes sense that it would be that people would see like, oh, this seems like it could be something done. That, that was exactly that you've, you've, You've nailed it. Mm-hmm. For me, coming at this, not knowing what, like your brother, not knowing what mm-hmm. clubfoot was, but having seen children with what I then realized was untreated clubfoot. So knowing that there's such, it's such a problem and the stigma associated 
with disability in low-income countries is so big, right? It's mm-hmm. much bigger than than it is in the U.S., even though um, it's significant here. When when you you know what the cost is, what the impact of of growing up being unable to walk properly is on a child, and then you learn that there's this method that works so well, and as you said, is relatively straightforward compared. So, for example, in Africa, we work a lot with physical therapists, and they're really really good at doing the Ponsetti method. Um, their training leans, you know, le- lends itself. So you talked a little bit about the local, how you work with local partnerships. So is that existing healthcare partners that are in these countries, or is it that you're going in and establishing different, um, different like hospitals, clinics, that sort of thing, or are you going into existing ones? That's a great question. So we are working in existing hospitals. So we are not building any new clinics. We are not creating a parallel system for healthcare. We're working with government hospitals primarily. And the reason we work with government hospitals is we want to reach as many children as possible, and particularly the kids that are most in need, which would be the lower income kids. They tend to go and you know, they tend to go to public hospitals when when they get health care. So we start with working in gov- big government hospitals, often the pediatric hospital, and we usually start in the capital city and then work our way out from there. Um, we, we start in the major metropolitan areas, again, because there are the most kids, and so we can have the greatest impact. But we are very conscious in every country that we go to that we want to build a network of clinics around the country so that everybody has access. We do not want families that live mm-hmm. miles away not to be able to access care. So we build a network of clinics, but those are embedded in existing infrastructure, existing hospitals. We also work, as I, as I think I've said, with um, local doctors. Mm-hmm. So we're working with the orthopedic surgeons, the physician's assistants, the physical therapists, casting technicians, whoever is treating clubfoot in that country or are seeing kids with clubfoot. So they're the folks that are working often in orthopedics or with Mm -hmm. children that have congenital um, anomalies and and that's where those kids would end up we're we're training those people in the Ponsetti method so one of the one of the reasons that children aren't getting treated in low-income countries is just that are not doctors who've been trained in the Ponsetti method so we're training the existing healthcare um, community in the technique to to address clubfoot effectively we tend um because we're working in public hospitals, those people are usually paid by the government, which is great because this makes it more sustainable, right? So we are providing the training. We're often, pro- we're always providing braces and then we're also providing additional supplies if they're missing, but the government's actually paying for the doctors and the healthcare providers that are doing the treatment. So it's a cost sharing um, uh, model, which makes it more sustainable and um, means that if for some reason Miracle Feet was not able to continue, which fortunately hasn't been the case up mm-hmm. until now, there would still be people left in place who know how to treat Clubfoot. So that's mm-hmm. really important to us. So the hospitals exist and mm-hmm. our partnerships are with those hospitals. In addition to the, that though, we also partner with a local nonprofit. So we find mm-hmm. another organization that already exists that is working in a related field. So they may be working um, with people with disabilities. They may be work, working on children's health. They may be working on another issue that involves a lot of outreach and raising awareness. So we select an, a local organization and there are local feet on the ground, right? So they're the ones that are actually coordinating what's happening in the clinics, arranging when the training will take place, making sure that the braces get to the clinics that need them, tracking the data, helping us with reports. Um, And so 
our team is working really, really closely with that local partner nonprofit in the country, providing a lot of technical expertise, working really in partnership with them to figure out what's the right strategy here. How can we reach our goal in every country is to reach 70% of all children born with club foot within the first year of birth to make sure that they're enrolled. So how are we going to do that, right? Which would be the right hospital to work with, which are the right doctors to bring in and how do we go talk to the Ministry of Health? So it's a real partnership between Miracle Feet, which has this sort of global expertise and, and local partners on the ground who really know how to solve the problem in their own country, right? We can't do that for them. We need local expertise and local knowledge and local relationships. Yeah. And that's what our local partner provides. So it's a partnership model, both in terms of partnering with these government hospitals and with our local mm. team um, that we create and support within a, a local NGO. And then you asked how we're different from other organizations addressing Clubfoot. Because the Ponsetti method, or at, at this point, I mean, there are there are a number of organizations that do work on Clubfoot. Miracle Feet. It's probably at this point the largest organization that only focuses on, on clubfoot treatment. Um, but we all are, are promoting um, and supporting the Ponsetti method. So mm -hmm. there's nobody out there who's not fully on board with making sure that, that there is no more surgery for clubfoot and everybody's starting with the Ponsetti method. So in that way, we're, we are all very similar. And I think we all recognize that we need to approach it in a comprehensive way. So we need to make sure that we're raising awareness destigmatizing the issue of clubfoot so that families who have a child born with clubfoot are able to reach out and find care, that they get mm -hmm. identified, that, that the condition gets identified and they get referred to a clinic. Mm -hmm. Then we need to make sure that once they get to the clinic, they get fabulous care. So that involves training the doctors and the, and the team and making sure that all of the supplies are there and that they have access to braces and that there's a lot of parent education going on. So the family understands the role that they're gonna have to play um, as the child reaches the, the bracing phase of treatment. And then also working on the follow-up and making sure that can, the kids continue to come back, make sure that we're checking the feet, they get new braces when, they, when their feet grow and, and they need a new pair of shoes. Um, and in parallel to all of that, trying to convince the government that they should take more and more responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I, I think to varying degrees, we all bring that approach. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think Miracle Feet is that different than the other organizations doing this. I think we go about it in slightly different ways. Um, some mm -hmm. organizations are more faith-based. Uh, we, we are not, but um, the actual kind of mechanics of what we do are not that dissimilar. And one of the really nice things about working in the field of Clubfoot is that we're all working together. Mm -hmm. So in some areas of the sort of philanthropic nonprofit world, there's this rather unpleasant or unnecessary competition between different organizations. And I think with Clubfoot, because it's a relatively, because the solution is relatively new, we've, we haven't, none of us have been doing this for that long. It's been, for all organizations, it's been about 10 to 15 years. And we really talk to each other a lot. We communicate, we use the same metrics to measure success and to look at quality. And we, and we collaborate a lot um, between ourselves. And that's, makes it, fun it's really it's it's nice because we're sharing best practices we're using each other's tools um we're, we're not duplicating what we're all doing and, and yeah. i think that's pretty unusual sadly in in the global health and nonprofit world yeah that's the interesting thing i think about the ponsetti method and its newness to i mean we say newness i'm i mean dr ponsetti has been trying to get people on board since you know yes. the 40s exactly. um, but that the newness of the adaption of it, adoption of people using it. And I think that does create 
I love I love to hear that it's that there's collaboration between all of it because I do think that's such a huge part of creating awareness not just in the US or in North America but globally is like we all have we all have the same goal in mind so let's all figure out how we can work together and support each other we're all using the same method like you said at the end of the day we all believe in that method so let's all figure out how we can assist each other and um, collaborate to make the best possible care for kids and the families. Because at the end of the day, that's my passion. That's what I'm about is making sure that they don't get, that the actual people receiving treatment and giving the treatment, which is most of the time the parents, um, are getting the resources and they're not forgotten in the larger picture of the whole. Exactly. And mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting when you look back on the history of how the Ponsetti method did finally take hold in the mm -hmm. US. And it was really driven by parents. That's right. And mm -hmm. it was also driven by technology, right? The yeah. internet really helped give the parents the tools they needed to um, affect this change that was mm -hmm. not happening within the medical community. And, I, and I, I've, I've, I'm, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a medical person by training. I came at this from, I, I was worked in the corporate world before starting Miracle Feed. And it astounded me that when there was a medical breakthrough, that the medical people worldwide didn't just adopt it. I just assumed mm -hmm. that that happened. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to me to learn that Dr. Ponsetti, it had taken him 60 years to convince people to to adopt his technique that despite the fact that he'd written papers about it and there was all this evidence, but that happened when the parents really jumped in and, and the internet helped that. And so it's, I, I find it fascinating that that was the beginning of sort of the movement in the US. Mm -hmm. And it was also the beginning of organizations like Miracle Feet. Mm -hmm. And then when we're in the countries that we're working in, we're also involving the parents. Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases, I talked about how we partner with a local NGO. In some cases, those NGOs were started by parents who had kids born with club foot, who looked yeah. around and said, gosh, this was really hard for me to find care for my child. I'm gonna make it easier for other people. So that model of the parents being involved mm -hmm. and the families driving this, it continues to this day and and it's it's a really big part of um i think what the clubfoot story is yeah i would agree i think it's a big piece of the clubfoot um community in general and why it makes the fabric that's woven through so strong is because the parents really do they, i think it's because there's so much reliance on parents to adhere to the bracing like bracing and the maintenance phase of treatment that it's not as if we're like, okay, we're kind of secondary. It's, we're really primary to the whole success of our child's treatment. And I think one of my big passions is helping parents getting into that and realizing and stepping into that and going, oh, I like play a huge role in this. So then instead of that being daunting, how do we give parents the, the tools that they need to feel successful and that they can go confident that they can do this because it's not a short-term treatment, right? I mean, it's long-term and it, there is a lot of parental education that goes with that because if right. they're the ones doing so much of the treatment at home, they need to know why they're doing it and how to do it and given the tools that they need to succeed. So. Right. And I think in the countries that we're working in, it starts even earlier um, mm -hmm. for many parents where because clubfoot treatment hasn't ever been available before, mm -hmm. families who have a child born with clubfoot 
they might take that child to a clinic and they they will be they could well be told there's no treatment for this mm. or the feet will self-correct right so they're getting erroneous information from the medical community that they're reaching out to and where oftentimes the reason they will end up at a clubfoot clinic is because some other parent mm. contacted them like wow. through this amazing network and so there's there's a sort of word of mouth aspect mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. often whenever i go to a clinic i always ask each family how did you know to come here you know what what was it that brought you here yeah. and it's incredible how often it's oh well my neighbor's cousin told me that they knew someone who'd had club foot or, you know, my grand, my mother-in-law knew somebody who had club foot and they mm -hmm. told me that this was where you need to come. So the parent mm -hmm. piece of it is even more important mm -hmm. in countries where there is, believe it or not, even less awareness of club foot than there is in the US. Right. So right. that role that the parents plays in helping identify and refer others mm -hmm. is really, really critical. Sort of like the, in the early days of the US you know, yeah. where they set up the no, no more Clubfoot um, yeah. website. Yeah, no surgery for Clubfoot, and, right. And no, sorry, right. no surgery for Clubfoot chat board and all of that. Right. So what are some of the goals that Miracle Feet hopes to achieve? Like, what are your big... What are our big goals? Yeah, what our are the goal, big goals? <laughs> our big goal is that we would like every child who is born with Clubfoot to have access to quality care. Mm. That's the big goal. Yeah. Now I have to break the big goal into smaller goals. Mm -hmm. um, we have um, fo we're focusing on 66 countries that are all okay. low and middle income countries that we have identified that need help with clubfoot. Um, we're working in 30 of those countries already, mm -hmm. and in each country we've set ourselves a goal of creating enough of a network of clinics and enough awareness in that country and and putting in place the referral. Um, networks and pathways so that children get identified early and referred to treatment so that 70% of all children born with clubfoot are enrolled in treatment within a year of being born. Mm. So that's what we call success for ourselves. Okay. We also have very, very clear quality metrics. So we don't mm -hmm. just look at how many children are we enrolling, but we're also looking at, are we delivering really high quality treatment? Mm. And so we look at Number of average number of well age of enrollment, average number of casts, how many kids get a tenotomy, and then how many kids complete bracing. And mm. so it's a combination of try of, of reach and quality. Mm. It's okay. how we've broken it down. So that's the, the, those are the big goals. Um, we have actually exceeded the seventy percent goal in three countries: um, Sri Lanka. Liberia and Paraguay, which I think is kind of amazing because we weren't really sure if it was feasible or not, but we've proven yeah. that it is. Yeah. Um, and we're getting really close in some bigger countries like Tanzania and Nepal, countries that have much larger populations. Mm -hmm. So we know that that's doable. Um, and okay. we're also hitting our quality targets, which is mm -hmm. amazing. So um, our global averages are exceeding the targets that we've set for each of those quality metrics. Um, that doesn't mean that every single clinic is delivering perfect treatment to every child. And, and we, we collect an enormous amount of data so that we can mm -hmm. figure that out and figure out which clinics need additional training or additional resources. And, you know, where are some amazing, you know, we look at it both for the positive and the negative. There are some countries that are off the charts in terms of their brace compliance. So what are mm -hmm. they doing? Mm -hmm. What secrets have they figured out that we can then share with other 
partners and countries that might enable them to make sure that you know brace compliance goes up so we we break this we have this enormous big goal but we break it down into some really you know we're very analytical and very data driven mm-hmm. the way that we're breaking down the problem into into manageable pieces mm-hmm. um, with with great success it's it's amazing yeah it sounds amazing what do you think is your biggest challenge well the biggest challenge is always seems to be the same which is raising the money right mm-hmm. so i think we've we've figured out a model that works really well. We've built a number of tools that allow us to scale that model very effectively. Okay. So we we created our own brace because the American braces are so expensive and we needed one that was much, so we created our own very affordable brace. The one that we make costs $20, um, mm-hmm. which is a lot less I think than the ones that are used in the US. Um, yeah. We And we built systems to monitor quality and, and, and resources to help train more, more people more effectively. So we, have a model that we've refined, we've built some tools, so and we've shown that we can really scale this. So we, mm-hmm. we sort of have the methodology pretty well locked in. Mm-hmm. And at this point, we know that we can keep doing that. It works in all kinds of geographies and we can keep pushing it and we can get to that 70% goal. And really the limiting resource is how much, how much money we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more funds we have, the more people we can train, the more people we can hire, the more people we can train and the more kids that will get treated. So that's probably the biggest challenge. And then the second challenge that I would say is really important for long-term success is getting the governments on board mm-hmm. and getting getting ministries of health to mainstream clubfoot treatment so mm-hmm. that any child showing up at any hospital is going to automatically get the right treatment, right? That all right. the materials are there. There are doctors there that know how to treat it. Um, and so, you know, that piece in some ways, it's not completely done in the U.S. Not everybody can access hospitals that know how to do Ponsetti really well, but it's close. Uh, that's the piece that we need to do, you know, that we need the government help to do that in the, in the countries that we work in so that miracle feet can play less and less of a role right so that we're yeah. not constantly out having to raise that money and, yeah. and one of the pieces of that puzzle of getting the ministries of health to mainstream it is to get recognition that clubfoot is a problem that deserves attention globally mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. really kind of working at the advocacy level at the minister mm-hmm. who um the the organizations that set health policy they still don't recognize Clubfoot and don't prioritize Clubfoot. They they recognize it as an issue, but they don't, they haven't prioritized it as a problem that really deserves attention in the same way that, you know, HIV or malaria and other conditions have have very rightfully, you know, received a lot of attention. It's Clubfoot's turn, right? We we need to get Clubfoot added to that list. Yeah. Yeah. I think that It's hard because it's twofold. I think you think of those. It's not a life-threatening deformity, right? Um, In 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 the eye, but it is life debilitating, and so that's the part where you're like, I don't. It's hard for me to understand why it wouldn't be given more recognition, especially considering the treatment is so transferable. It seems doable, so I don't. Um, seems like something that can like actually be accomplished, right? Like, I just feel like this is something that could really be done. Like we really could make sure that every child who's born with clubfoot is able to receive treatment. It feels doable. It's totally doable. 
Yeah. It's totally doable. And I believe we're going to do it. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not, not we Miracle Feet on our own. We collectively can yeah. do this, right? Yeah. Um, I think within, I'd like to say within my lifetime, but certainly within your lifetime, I, I do believe that, you know, Clubfoot is something that we ought to be able to check off and say, we have solved this problem. Of course, children are going to continue to be born with Clubfoot. Right. But as long as they can have access to good treatment and the knowledge is there and the awareness is there and we destigmatize this and, you know, that, that it just becomes like breaking your arm and going to get a cast. You, you right. wouldn't expect not to be able to get treatment for a broken arm. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I believe that it is completely doable for all the reasons you've just said. This is this treatment is so well suited to low resource settings. Mm -hmm. You don't need complicated equipment. You don't need a lot of training to be able to do Ponsetti well. And it can be done by lots of different kinds of healthcare professionals. So right. you know, the shortage of orthopedic surgeons isn't a, isn't a limiting factor. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, compared to many issues, this is very, very feasible and doable. And I think with enough people working on it and, mm -hmm. and the growing movement i like to think of it as a movement really and, and mm -hmm. people like you working we're all working at different levels right, right. and collectively right. i think we're going to get across the finish line does that mean that there won't be a few children who don't get treatment of course probably mm -hmm. in some places but it is definitely a problem that is solvable thanks to dr ponsetti's amazing solution and his medical breakthrough right like i think about in the united states right you you, your child is born with clubfoot, you hear your child's going to be born with clubfoot, but you, or your child is born and you know, you see, and you know, you're going to get treatment. Like there is treatment available to you now. I mean, that all depends on where you are and the access to treatment and what doctors are available. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's without its problems because it has problems, but it is like, it's not considered a disability here in the United States, when it's corrected because it's right. not and but globally if it's not corrected it is so it seems to be like it seems like there's something we can do like we're all doing it and we have we can all see that this can be done in such a um doable way like you said that it could happen and this people won't be disabled anymore right. because they well, will be have corrected feet yeah yeah and we, I mean, clubfoot, untreated clubfoot is the single largest cause of physical disability in the world, wow. right? In the world. Wow. And we know how to address it. Like yeah. we all know that this is fixable. So this is absolutely a problem that we can solve. And mm -hmm. the world is full of overwhelmingly complicated problems right now. Mm -hmm. And it's really, to me, incredibly exciting and joyful to work on an issue where we can solve it, mm -hmm. right? That mm -hmm. that collectively um by working yeah. yeah pulling in a lot of different people and and i have never met anyone when you tell them the clubfoot story and you explain mm -hmm. what life would be like for a child say in zimbabwe or in nepal mm -hmm. who has to live with untreated clubfoot and then you explain how relatively easy it is to fix and what a transformation in the quality of life and the opportunity mm -hmm. That, that unlocks there is no one in their right mind that says you shouldn't be doing this right everybody yeah. agrees that this makes sense it's it's really one of those no-brainer issues and the cost is so low right mm -hmm. for a lot of things trying to solve problems costs an enormous amount of money and mm -hmm. this cost for us our fully loaded cost is is five to six hundred dollars per child to fully treat the child and that includes all the training and all of the mm -hmm. infrastructure we put in place and when you think 
the of of how much impact and even revenue is generated by providing that treatment in the first year of birth. That person can now go to school. They probably wouldn't have been able to go to school. That person will be able to probably get a good job. I mean, mm -hmm. you and you look, you 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 play that out and you get a return on that investment of so many, many multiples. In fact, we estimate over 200 and 240 times the initial investment in terms wow. of the revenue that's generated. And that doesn't even account for kind of quality of life, right? That doesn't yeah. account for the emotional and psychological damage of living with a severe disability that that you does you don't need to be living with because it's treatable yeah so it, it's it's very exciting it is exciting in a lot of ways and I think that's why it's it's exciting to be a part of the community because you're just like you've it like you said there is a problem and I feel like we have a solution so let's do something about it and there are so many great organizations like Miracle Feet who are doing things about it and then to hear that you guys are, that there is that collaboration piece is so important too, of everybody working together with this common goal to achieve the overall goal, which is that the vast majority of people, babies born with clubfoot, get correct treatment. Yep. I wonder if Dr. Ponsetti thought of that. I wonder if he thought about the global scalability of his method and if that's part of the reason why he, um, he developed it. I've never thought that before in my head until I'm talking to you. And I'm like, I wonder if that's why, if that, if there was a piece of that with him. Well, I know that he, I don't know whether that's why he developed it. I know mm -hmm. the story I heard from, from people that knew him and I never met him um, mm -hmm. despite living in Iowa city at the same time that he was alive. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. It's very frustrating. Um, <laughs> What, what I heard was he was frustrated with the results he was getting from surgery. So he, mm. he's like, this is not acceptable. The, you know, we're not, I'm not providing people with enough of a, of a life, right? The, the wow. quality of, of my, of, of the results I'm getting from surgery is not satisfactory. I think we can do better. So that, that caused him, that led him to, to research, how can we treat this and figured out that it really wasn't so much a bone issue it was a soft tissue issue and manipulation and casting was a more appropriate way to address it what i do know is that um i was the person who came and told me about the ponsetti method and about dr ponsetti and who inspired me to step up and try to do something about this was a friend of dr ponsetti's and he said his words when he sat down in my office in whatever it was 2006 i believe he said, Dr. Ponsetti's dying wish is to get this treatment to all children in around the world so that no child goes untreated. So I do believe that yeah. he recognized the incredible impact that that his medical breakthrough could have on children's lives around the world. And he was very aware mm -hmm. that kids were growing up in low income countries with no treatment because those who could afford it would fly to Iowa to get treatment because there wasn't any in their country. So I think he definitely knew that mm -hmm. this had enormous global potential. And and certainly this friend, the, the gentleman's name is John Buchanan. That was, th those were the words that he said that that honestly stuck with me and, and were, mm -hmm. were, were what inspired me to, to say, okay, I, I need to try and do something about this. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I'm so thankful for Dr. Ponsetti just personally. Just, I mean, every time I watch my daughter do anything, which I'm so grateful for, you know, climb, jump, walk. Um, but then just to even think about that, this kind of local to 
this global aspect of it, right? Of it's just not my child, but it's the idea that this can be every child. Right. Yeah. And, and it's it's also sort of extraordinary because it's there was such a fight in the US to, yeah. to get this through, right? So for yeah. 60 years, he really battled the rest of the orthopedic community mm-hmm. in advocating that this was better for the for the kids, right? And yeah. ultimately for the adults. And it's it's so interesting that, that that fight, that struggle had to happen. And now, while it's not easy to introduce the Ponsetti method to a new country, it happens so much more quickly, mm-hmm. right? So that hard work was done. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just sort of, it's amazing to have seen. So for example, in Liberia, there was someone that came to Iowa from Liberia. He heard about it actually from the Mercy ships, the, the, the hospital ship that came in and they introduced him to the Ponsetti method. And he said, I need to do this for my country. He mm-hmm. got himself to the US. He got on a Greyhound bus, got himself to Iowa City, was trained actually by Dr. Jose McQuende. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was after Dr. Ponsetti had, had passed away. And then they called us and said, there is this amazing person who's now on his way back to Liberia Mm-hmm. where there is no treatment for children born with club foot, right? And this was probably nine years ago, roughly. And now he is enrolling. The program that he developed that we have supported from the get-go is enrolling 100% of the children that are born with club foot in Liberia every year. Wow. So it only took nine years, right? That's a incredible. lot of, yeah, it is amazing. Now we we, mm-hmm. we don't think he's actually they're actually quite getting 100% because I think some of the numbers are off. I think there's probably because we, we, we're not that arrogant that we think we think that we're done. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's kind of amazing to go from zero to, you know, very ubiquitous with you right. know, a, clearly a vast majority of children who are born with that condition now getting the treatment that they need. Yeah. Um, so it, it just shows, again, that this is possible. Yeah. And nine years is such a short amount of time. Like you think. I mean, I have a nine-year-old, so, you know, that seems like a long time and also a short time, but in the medical world, and that's what I hear from so many of the orthopedic surgeons too, is that it's such a short time frame, like this, the shift from the surgery being the treatment to the Ponsetti method happened so quickly. Um, once it happened, right? Once it once started, it, once yeah. it started, it became yeah. this like revolutionized. And once once it started, it quickly happened. And so you can understand why now that that method can then be nine years later in a country that had no Ponsetti no. method, right. and not no. only no Ponsetti method, no club foot treatment, right? Because they only right. had one orthopedic surgeon in the whole yeah. country. Wow. When when this guy came back, and and it was also a country that had su- suffered of ten years of civil war, so yeah. it's one of the most the, the the health infrastructure of Liberia is seri- has you know been seriously compromised and underinvested in for for decades. Mm-hmm. So to be able to do that in a country that has a very weak health system, mm-hmm. you know, relative to other countries, is even more extraordinary. Wow, yeah, super extraordinary. Well. If people listening want to get involved and help Miracles Feeds Mission, how do they do that? Well, thank you for asking. And yes. I love people who listen to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you can visit our website and okay. we have a lot of information about the work that we do and where we do it. And we also have ideas about how you can help. Mm-hmm. And that 
that includes raising awareness, mm -hmm. um, sharing uh, social media posts with, with your networks, mm -hmm. talking about the work that we're doing, introducing it to friends and family. Obviously, what is the most helpful is funding, but you can mm -hmm. do that in many different ways. Not everybody has the capacity to write a check, um, but you can hold peer-to-peer -peer fundraisers, you know, mm -hmm. like people holding birthday parties who have kids born with club foot. Um, you can also sign up uh, every time you order from Amazon. You can sign up if you mm -hmm. do it through Amazon Smile. You can give to Miracle Feet. So there are lots of ideas of ways that you can support us. But the two big things would really be raising awareness mm -hmm. and helping with funding. Those yeah. are the two things that people in the U.S. can primarily do to support the work that we do. Well, that, that's incredible. And do, do they just go to Miracle Feet? www.miraclefeet.org. Org, perfect. And then do you guys have Instagram handles as well that people can share your posts? We do, and I wish I could tell you what they were. I'm guessing yes. it's at Miracle Feet. At you, just Feet to, yeah. you just so have to type it in that search. We're on right Instagram there. and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay, great. I think that's yeah. wonderful. And just as a short, um, aside from how we as personally helped Miracle Feet before we, before I even wrote the book, before I started this podcast, my daughter turned a year old in 2019 and we wanted to do something special for her um, because we thought, I was like, I just don't, well, first of all, she's got two older sisters. So we have everything. Like we literally everything under the sun, we had everything that a one-year-old would need. Um, and so we decided to for in lieu of birthday presents for her birthday party had everybody donate to miracle feet and it was really impactful for all of us and all of our family too i feel like our family really felt more connected with her story and her experience because they understood a little bit more about what was happening globally and felt like they were able to um donate and assist in that way. And it was just really special. And I talk about that in the book about how that one year marker was really important to us and how um, that became the way that we kind of tried to pay it forward a little bit from our personal experience. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for sharing that story. And, and we, we depend on people like you that it, it builds up the, the, you know, people giving whatever they're able to give. Mm -hmm collectively is what makes our work possible. So we're just enormously grateful um, for anyone who supports us. But we also really, because we, we were started by parents who had kids with clubfoot, we feel this really deep connection to the families. Mm -hmm. And it, it matters a great deal to us that we have support from families that are affected mm -hmm. personally by the issue of clubfoot. It, it sort of doubles the meaning in some ways. Um, so yeah. We, we feel a very deep connection and we have a lot of people like you that support us in, in similar ways. And it's, it's an extraordinary gift to us. And we feel very, we're humbled and honored that, that we can take that money and do something that makes, gives pleasure and, and makes people feel like they're making a difference beyond what's happened to them in their own family. Right. So. Right. In bringing awareness to it. And the, just so that everybody knows, it was super easy to sign up for the birthday party. I just went on to Miracle Feet and what, God, that was three years ago. And 
it was super easy then. So I'm sure it's the same or if not easier now, and they send you some stuff to go along with it to assist with your party. So people were able to walk away with some information and literature about what they were donating to, which I think was really important too for them. So if you're thinking about it, I think um, that one-year-old thing was good for us too, because she was too young to really care. You know, if one-year-olds don't care about presents. Um, and so for her, it would just seemed really natural to be like, this is an easy way that we can help do something um, to help yeah. other people. as you say. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, well, thanks. We have an amazing team and, and it has gotten easier and better, I, I believe. So um, <laughs> I'm sure thanks it has. Thanks for the shout out. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Cheska. I really appreciate you taking the time to be a guest today. And oh, my pleasure. Yeah. We, and I just love to talk about Clubfoot. So I know, <laughs> is, I, know I feel is... like that's my I tell people now I'm like that. I feel like that's the number one word in my vocabulary. If you were to, you know, just take a track of every single thing I say, Clubfoot's definitely on the top. And so um I really just appreciate everything that you guys are doing. I'm very impressed by Miracle Fee. And I think, um, yeah, keep it going. It's really amazing. It's something I think it can be done. So it can be. So, yeah. yep, I, onwards and upwards and doing it together is, is how we'll get it done. So I love that. thank you, Maureen, so much yeah. for giving us this chance to chat. I just really enjoyed talking to you. And thanks for the work that you're doing to support families born with club, who have kids born with clubfoot here in the U.S. Yeah, they, they need support as well. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Cheska for being a guest today on the podcast and telling us all about the work she's doing with Miracle Feet. And just a big thank you for her continued work to support Clubfoot children and their parents around the world. As always, thanks for listening. And if you like this episode and found it helpful, please share, like, and subscribe. If you need to get in contact with me, you can do so through my website at maureenhoff.com or my Instagram account at Club Foot Chronicles Mom. Until next time.